You told people to go to the lecture and now this is what happened. Well. No, it's good. It's more interesting. Okay. I, I feel that maybe we should... <laughs> I mean, honestly. Because <laughs> I want to go to it too. <laughs> but let's do a couple of questions. Go. Let's start with the Living and the Dead ensemble. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's... I feel that's... Oh, okay. Everybody's going. Yes, please. <laughs> what? Oh, what? I should talk about them? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're living it. Like, um, so that's a group I've been working with in Haiti um, since 2017, which I'm actually going to be talking about tomorrow. That's the, the lecture that I'll be giving. But um, that's an interesting point to say is that, so this group that we're working with, it's not as if uh, the Living in the Dead Ensemble were an already established collective of artists that were working in Haiti, of which we entered into. We formed the group together. Me, Olivier Marboeuf, who's the producer of the film, um, we actually formed this collective together. So it's me and Olivier and eight people from Port-au-Prince, from Haiti. And um, yeah, really we set that up um, quite naturally because uh, we wanted to work together. We started making work together. We worked on the translation of this play um, that you see some extracts from called Monsieur Toussaint by Edouard Glissant. And we translated that play from French to Haitian Creole. And then we did a production of the play. And when we were doing the play, we said, well, who, like people said, who's the director of the play? <laughs> and we were all like, well, uh, it wasn't, I was like, not me. And Olivier said, not me. And the actors were like, well, it's not us. And we were like, well, it kind of is you and it kind of is us, but it's actually all of us. So then we kind of naturally said, well, you know, let's make a collective. Let's, well, not a collective, let's make a group. And we called ourselves the ensemble because we preferred that term in French, obviously it means together. And we preferred it as opposed to a collective because we like this idea that actually we're more like a sort of musical ensemble, which indicates um, there's a different set of soloists that perform all at the same time and together. And that in that sense, they make um, an ensemble as opposed to this like singular voice, which is authored multiply. We prefer to think of ourselves as a sort of cacophony, I can't say the word in English. Um, cacophony, it's easier in French. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's the Living in the Dead Ensemble. But come tomorrow, two o'clock, I'll be talking <laughs> about them um, in depth and show some clips from the work um, that we're making in Haiti. So this is just the introduction, basically. Yeah, so this is an introduction, but the piece is much longer and it's also going to be, let's say, authored by the ensemble yeah well that's the thing so yeah the work is three hours long at the moment it's a feature film and i think we'll, we'll show it in parts and then in terms of the crediting i mean the work in general we're going to sign it under the name of the group but then it will be quite evident that like this part for example is um you know authored not by the group because they didn't have any part in this but then the whole two and a half hour section which is later is you know authored as the group but just just for the sake of trying to pose challenges to like the art world and the cinema world's obsession with the um and the being precise about these no things, no yeah. but like the art world's obsession with the sort of capitalization of of, of the author of the singular author or the capitalization of the name of the author so you know Let's say, like, we're trying to show the, the feature film in the A-list festival, in Locarno, for example, in the summer, and people would be excited to try and plug the film as the first feature film of Louis Henderson. Mm. 
because I've been making films for 10 years, I've made lots of shorts, it's kind of this sort of trajectory of filmmakers that, you know, you build your name up, you, you sort of capitalize off your own name, your own presence within art spaces, and then you work to your feature, and then it's like sold as this first feature, and then people follow your work. So what does that mean to actually sign the film not with my own name, for example? Not as a way to hide myself, but to say, well, you know, we're sort of not interested in the capitalization of an artist's status and name. Um, and to be more honest about how much involvement has taken place from the actors. Because the film I'm, I'll be talking about tomorrow, um, and this film here really, I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're made in a very long process. We've been working on this for five years. Or f uh, yeah, five, four or five years. And it's a long process of discussion and, and deliberation between us and the actors. Um, the whole Haitian part is entirely improvised, pretty much. Uh, and the actors write their own words. Mm -hmm. uh, not here. Obviously, this is all referencing primary source material from Glissant and César and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, so that's, that's a drive behind trying to sign the work under the name of a group. But so to go back to the to the initial kind of moment where the the group was formed, it was formed for the you worked in the Ghetto Biennial in yeah. Port-au-Prince, and you formed the group uh, in order to translate the this play that we hear here in yeah. French yeah. to translate it to Creole to yeah. Haitian Creole. Yeah. Can you tell a bit about that process? How did how did it go, and how, um, yeah, what was the. Um, what was the response from the public there? I mean, it, it obviously makes kind of, you know, you make something visible for the, for the local audience, audience yeah. right? Because yeah. you, you kind of translate it to their language. Yeah, so I mean, again, that, that's all the stuff I'll address tomorrow in the, in, the, in the lecture, but just briefly, yeah, I mean, so we took this, we went, I mean, I, we had the play by Glissant, it's in French, it's a very literary French. Uh, the, the majority of the population in Haiti don't speak French, so, the Haitians and us, we already found it absurd that Glissant decides to write a play about the history of Haiti in a colonial language that the majority of the population don't speak. Um, so we decided to translate it into Creole. Uh, not entirely, it's, it's fragmented. It's certain characters speak Creole. The, the character of Louverture in our version of the play speaks French and Creole. He flips backwards and forwards. Um, but that was done as a way exactly to make the play more understandable to the local population. And then we did a performance of the play in the Ghetto Biennale in 2017 in the cemetery in downtown Port-au-Prince. We had like hundreds of people came. I mean, it was packed and people loved it. People were really into it. Also, we didn't just translate the play um, in terms of its language. We translated it in form and its temporality as such. Um, so we sort of updated it with the use of contemporary forms of slang. We introduced elements into the play where people rap, they don't just talk. Um, we had music and drumming. Um, so it became quite an event and yeah, it was very well received. We, we got a write up in the national newspaper the next day, which was super exciting. It was like our first you know, thing as a group. Yeah, and we continue to do more things, hopefully, depending on money. Yeah, yeah. Can we uh, maybe talk briefly about what we see in the film? I mean, the film is different than uh, than the play that you uh, presented. So the film features uh, a researcher. It starts in an archive yeah. and then it goes on to these several places. Maybe a little bit about that. So this is my friend Jeff de Camille. He's a Haitian PhD researcher. He's studying at 
I think Paris 1, I can't remember. Yeah, Paris 1. And he is someone who's been working and researching around the history of Haitian Revolution for some time. We've already collaborated together previously. Um, yeah, so he's this figure who's in the archive reading the letters of Toussaint Louverture and then... Um, I mean, really, well, I, I can, I, I'm about to tell you what's in the film, but you've just watched it, so that's pointless. Um, basically, this comes from an interest of mine, really, from the work of, a huge interest in the work of Jean-Marie Straub and Daniel Ouillet, two filmmakers from France, who did what they called kind of archival topography. So they would look at material in archives, such as the letters of Friedrich Engels to Karl Marx, and then they go and try and find landscapes that those letters might somehow speak to or speak about. So they go look at landscapes in France um, that were important sites for like peasant revolution or peasant revolt before the French Revolution, which is this kind of critique of like the bourgeois capture of the French Revolution and how in fact it was like a series of peasant revolts that actually led up to making that event possible. So in this instance, you know, I, we go to the archive and we look at the letters of Toussaint Louverture and then the film shifts towards those landscapes, which is the Jura, um, in which those letters were written and discussed because um, obviously Louverture was imprisoned in the castle, which we see in the film. So there's this relationship of uh, the written document to the strata in the landscape and as if we could somehow try and read those letters within the lines of the strata. And it's, it's an interest I had for a long time. I mean, stratigraphy quite literally means the writing of strata, stratigraphy. So then I always said, well, if we write strata, then surely we can read strata. How do you read strata in rocks? And uh, that's what geologists do. They look at strata, they read it. Um, I proposed that we won't just read the history of dinosaurs, because that's where the Jurassic period comes from, the Jura. French scientist in the 19th century did his studies in that area and found lots of fossils of dinosaurs. That's why it's called the, the Période Jurassique, like in French, Jurassic, Jurassic. But I said, well, perhaps you don't just read dinosaurs and fish. We also can read France's colonial history as embedded within its institutions, such as its archives, its institutions such as its prisons, which are obviously interrelated, and the landscape itself, and how the landscape actually becomes militarized and institutionalized within that process of the capture and imprisonment of, um, of Louverture. We, we also hear this, the whales throughout, yeah. right? So there is also like more to this. Yeah, because so, yeah, the Jura, yeah. so the reason why it's so rich in fossils is because it's made up of like... Um, well, a better way to answer that, there's this important part of geology called geodynamics. Not all geologists do geodynamics, or maybe they do, but I don't know. Geodynamics looks at the way in which mountain ranges throughout, you know, thousands of years or millennia shift and change, right? So it's like thinking landscape in geological time, very different from our own time or from human time. I mean, that is our time, but like the way we perceive time as humans. Um, and geodynamics asks of a mountain, you know, what ocean were you before you were a mountain? That's how a geo or a geologist using geodynamics might read a landscape. So they think of it, what, what liquid scape was it before it was this rock scape? Um, so the Jura was a tropical ocean, 
many millions of years ago. Um, and then with certain continental tonic shifts, what happens is then, you know, plates start moving, land starts collapsing, land starts rising, and the ocean basically starts to disappear, and through different processes of pressure and heat starts to fossilize. And all these animals that had died and been left behind in the silt, on the, in the earth, in the sand, start to solidify into rock. And that's basically what you have in the Jura when you're walking around, uh, is quite literally a fossilized ocean with a mountainscape in it. So I found that quite fascinating in relationship with thinking of Toussaint Louverture as someone who his heritage is very much built up on this idea of this liquid of, of the ocean as, as a medium for the, for the transportation of bodies, culture, language, history through the Atlantic slave trade. He's, he, Toussaint Louverture was born a slave in, in the country of, well, when it was called Saint-Domingue before it was Haiti. And then he crosses the ocean. I mean, he never crossed the ocean. He was born in the Caribbean as a slave, but his family had crossed uh, from Africa to the Caribbean. But then Louverture does the reverse journey. He crosses from the Caribbean to France because Napoleon put him on a ship and brought him across. Um, so I was interested then to think, what does it mean in the contemporary sense to turn the mountains back to liquid again, to liquidify them into the ocean. And in some sense, would that mean a release of what had been fossilized and buried, including him and his spirit? Hence this moment at the end where you have this oceans, this digital oceanscape, which is kind of actually the mountains turned into sea that then transport him. And then in the whole next part of the film in Haiti, mm -hmm. water has a very important presence. So we I mean, go from here, snow to water. Well, here it's snow. Yeah, but there are also waterfalls, right? And kind of Which is at like the that. end, because we yeah. move from snow. Oh, that's the beginning of the next part. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. it begins with water mm -hmm. and the reflection. And we go to ice and snow, which is like, again, how like maybe even weather gets sort of militarized <laughs> because Louverture famously died from like, well, he died from exhaustion, malnutrition. I mean, he's very, very badly treated. But he died from like, you know, things like pneumonia. Um, it's like he died from it, from the cold. And so I was interested in that, how snow is somewhat militarized or part of the institutional militarization of his captivity, the snow in the landscape, and then how water offers a release from that as the melting of that violence and as how water becomes this fluid process of reciprocal exchange. Um, so in the second part of the film, when we arrive in Haiti, we arrive in a waterfall. It's actually a sacred, like voodoo waterfall, but I didn't, I never tell anyone that because no one needs to know. But for us and the Haitians, it's important <laughs> okay. that it's that specific waterfall. It's called Soudou. It's just outside Port-au-Prince, like an hour away from Port-au-Prince. And then the first scene is this guy who doesn't resemble this person and he's walking in the landscape with the waterfall and he has taken on the ghost as such. And then the next scene, we see another character from the group and he's carrying packets of water to give to his friends to drink and it's almost like in that part in the film everybody's given a kind of blessing of the spirit of Louverture as such who has transported himself through water into many bodies yeah okay then maybe yeah. we should wrap it up yeah, and yeah, go yeah. to Tony well, thanks for sitting okay thank you <laughs> thank, thank you Louis thanks, thanks.